since it's been a while uh, since we've been in the book of James, I would like to uh, read verse 18 and then uh, 19 through 21, which uh, will be the beginning uh, of our next study. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Let's pray. Our Lord, we are thankful for these practical matters that we're about to look into this evening. We ask you, Lord, by your Holy Spirit to come and teach us and write your words on our hearts. We have enjoyed our studies in the book of James in the past, and we ask, Lord, that you would bring those words to remembrance and help us to remember the words that we'll study tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, there are many ways possibly to outline the book of James, and uh, those who would outline the book of James uh, say that this is a transition point in his letter, and that he comes from a, a section of dealing with trials and temptations uh, to a more uh, practical section. And uh, in a, a great way, that is uh, found to be true. If we go from this point to the rest of the letter, then chapter 1, verses 19 through 27 is about the reception of God's word and true religion, a very practical matter. Uh, chapter 2 and verses 1 through 13 cover the sin of partiality and treating people in different ways. Chapter 2 and verse 14 through 26, another uh, important practical matter, the necessity of faith and works. Uh, chapter 3, James uh, does return to these uh, portions that he exhorts us because he has uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 uh, concerning the tongue. Uh, chapter 3, 13 through 18, he, in, he outlines biblical wisdom. Uh, chapter 4, 1 through 12, an exhortation against worldliness and presumption. Uh, chapter 4, 13, uh, or chapter 5, 1 through 6, a warning to the rich. Chapter 5, 7 through 12, exhortations to patience in suffering, and then the rest of the letter, praying in faith and restoring sinners, all very practical matters. However, uh, the section that we just covered, how do we react in trials and how do we deal with temptation, uh, really is very uh, practical. We wouldn't put them as uh, uh, totally uh, different than one another. Uh, James does cover many uh, practical things, and uh, tonight be, being told to hear a certain way and speak a certain way and not be angry is certainly very practical. One writer says the transition from verse 18 to 19 goes from mind-stretching theology to its down-to-earth concrete implications in, in everyday life, and uh, uh, you know that our theology is no good unless it gets right down into concrete everyday life. We don't, we don't live in a, a, 
uh, a tower. We don't live uh, separated from other people. We don't live separated from dealing with ourselves and our own temptations and, and trials. And, and although this uh, may be transitional, it's also connected. There is a, a focus in verses 19 through 27 on God's word. And in verse 18, uh, the amazing thing is that we were brought forth by the word of truth, by God's power working in our hearts. Uh, in verse 21, it speaks of the word as Im implanted or the implanted word. That's where the word is supposed to go. That's where it's supposed to wind up. Remember this morning we talked about uh, that question, why is your seed in the barn? Well, seed doesn't do any good in the barn. And the word doesn't do any good unless it's implanted. But that's its goal. Verse 22 tells us to be doers of the word. Verse 23 makes the distinction between a hearer and a doer. In verse 25 of chapter 1, uh, James expands and calls the word different things. He calls it the perfect law and the law of liberty, two, two terms for God's word that are not used anywhere else. And he would have us look at it and think about it in different ways. Uh, but each different view reveals more. And so we may look at James saying, be quick to hear, and notice that that section immediately following that deals with hearing God's word. Chapter 3 and verse uh, 1 through 12, slow to speak, he goes right back and covers the topic of speech. He has some graphic pictures there. Horses and uh, rudders on ships and, and all sorts of stuff about speech. And then there is a section concerning anger in chapter 4, verse 1. It starts with, what causes quarrels among you? Well, he says it's, it's what's going on inside. It's your lust. It's your desire to have your own way, and you're angry about that. So here, uh, we might say, well, I'm glad he just says, uh, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, because uh, I, uh, I open my mouth sometimes, and I get angry sometimes, so I'm glad he'd pass by this. But he doesn't just pass by, because later on in his letter, he's going to come back and, and, and show us how important. We'll see from passages that we study tonight uh, that there, there are great consequences in the way I use my mouth in how I express my anger and what I should do in receiving God's word. Uh, one writer summarizes this section uh, uh, and says that this shows us that we're caught in the crossfire. We're caught in the crossfire. Fire. We're pressed from both sides because we have knowledge about ourselves as well as knowledge about God's work in us. And he says sometimes there's that clash of wills between what we know we should be and the fight against our sin and what we uh, are doing uh, that we should not do. We are caught in the crossfire and this clash of wills. So tonight we'll cover this, uh, uh, these exhortations with uh, uh, the words of connection, uh, the universal exhortations. First of all, then there's the controlled reception he talks about, and then controlled expression. And then there, there is uh, uh, some other things I don't think we'll get that far uh, this evening. Uh, so the first heading, uh, the words of connection, he says, know this, uh, my beloved brethren. Now there's some questions there because there's, there's words that are um, uh, translated different sometimes in uh, copying manuscripts. One word shows up. And, uh, and uh, I don't want to be too technical, but 
uh, James is an exhorter, you remember. There's about 60 commands in the book. And uh, uh, because in some manuscripts one letter was changed, you may have something that says therefore, or this we know, or, or something different. Um, the, there, are some, uh, there are some changes just in some various manuscripts. Uh, but uh, James doesn't use that formula for therefore any other place. He uses a regular word for therefore. And so that would lead us to say this is a command. And also, uh, he is a, uh, uh, one who commands people. He has all those exhortations. So we would conclude, and uh, many of the versions do, that he's saying, know this. You've got to know this. Just like he said in verse 16, do not be deceived my beloved brethren. It's the same type of formula. There's a command and then his endearing term, my beloved uh, brethren. Uh, so he consistently commands and uh, uh, one Dr. Meyer concludes it is thus better to consider this as an imperative and it corresponds to that do not be deceived. And uh, that's kind of where I got my information the, the, from somebody that knows Greek and knows how all this is involved. And we saw that uh, verse 16 we called a, a powerful hinge. He came from talking about your temptation because there was people that said, I'm being tempted and God is the one who's tempting me. He's allowing me to be tempted. And, and James took some time there, you remember, to say, no, God doesn't tempt, God is holy. He doesn't tempt anybody. And that's where he said, do not be deceived. But then he said, every good and every perfect gift comes from God. Here, he says, know this and gives us uh, these uh, practical instructions. Uh, Barnes summarizes this and says, since God is the only source of good, since he tempts no man, and since by his mere sovereign goodness without any claim on our part, we have had the high honor conferred on us of being made the first fruits of his creatures. We ought to be ready to hear his voice. He's, he's connecting the two sections, isn't he? God is going to protect you in temptation. Remember verse 12, the one that, the one that endures temptation and trial will receive the crown of life, which God intends to give to those who follow him. We ought to be ready to hear his voice, to subdue all our evil passions, and to bring our souls to entire practical obedience. The necessity of obedience, or the doctrine that the gospel is not only to be learned, but practiced, uh, is pursued at length in this and the following chapter. So uh, that, that's what Barnes says. And then we also note that not only this command but then that endearing term repeated because he says, know this, my beloved brethren. And he goes right back to that endearing term. He's not trying to boss people around. He's not trying to, to, to force them just to do what he, he says. He says, I'm connected to you because you are my beloved brethren. And then we come to these universal exhortations. These three exhortations are universally important. 
These exhortations have to deal with the state of your soul and the state of your heart before God. They're, they're said in a, a quick, you might say almost proverbial way, uh, but they have eternal uh, implications. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow uh, to anger. James wants us uh, to be guarded against being stuck in infancy in Christianity, and we have to learn, one writer says, how to capitalize on the birth which has come to us from our Father. We've been, we've been born again to a living hope. We've been born again to a, a, a different lifestyle. Uh, these universal commands uh, tell us uh, that everyone must be this way. You should be this way. Uh, you, every man, should be this way. Uh, we come to look at controlled reception. Controlled reception, and that is being quick to hear. We are called to be quick to hear. And I've called it controlled reception because being quick to hear is under our control. And since we're commanded to be quick, the word for quick, this word is only used here, uh, but there are others in the word family that uh, uh, Peter says, for instance, false prophets bring swift destruction uh, on themselves. And I've organized this using uh, uh, many verses in, in all three cases so that it's underscored to you and to me that these things are important. We might read this in a matter of seconds. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Okay, that's it. Uh, but each of them has uh, much detail. Uh, I don't know why I came up with all ours, but we're just going to briefly look that being quick to hear is a reflex. We should be ready. We should rest. We should respond. We should receive and we'll be rewarded. Being quick to hear is a reflex. If you've been brought forth by the word of truth, it's a natural reflex that you want to continue to hear the truth. Uh, we have a number of pictures that will come up. You remember that Peter says that as newborn babes, you should long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. And, and when you're, when you're uh, first saved, that's what you want. You just want to read. You want that milk. But remember in Hebrews, one of the passages that we'll read, he says, I'm concerned that you're still like children who can only take milk. So it's important for us to, to progress in hearing God's word. But it's a reflex. John 18, 37, For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify that the truth, everyone who is of the truth, hears my voice. Uh, there's a reflex. Everyone who understands the truth of the scripture that, and the fact that Christ is true and God's word is true, hears Jesus's voice. John 8, 47, Jesus says, he who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear because you are not of God. Are you of God? Well, then you hear God's word. We've heard the word of truth. We are brought forth by it to be God's first fruits. Now as the first fruits, uh, 
we continue to hear the word that brought us forth. Uh, secondly, uh, the quick to hear is ready to hear. Uh, the idea of being ready has to do with, with preparation and suitability. We remember this morning even the exhortation. What's clean and what's unclean? How do you, how do you work and do God's work and how not? And the question was presented to the priests and they said, well, that's clean and that's unclean. Well, that was easy to figure out. But how do we receive the word? Are we ready? Remember, every letter to the seven churches in Revelation ends with, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Everybody in this room has ears. But are we ready to hear? Well, you say, that, that's silly. I can't help it. I can't help hearing what you're saying. No. How are you hearing, though? How are you hearing God's word? That's the idea. Not if you got two ears. Well, I'll turn this way. That's my good side. I'll turn that way. That's my good side. No. Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches in that context. Churches that are persecuted. Churches that are having difficulty. Churches that need God's word to sort out problems. That, that's the idea. Ready. Hebrews 3, verses uh, 7 and 15 and 4, 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It's, it's right there, isn't it, in that text? How can I hear God's word? I can hear it ready or I can hear it hard. And today is always today. We, we mentioned that verse this morning. Uh, the quick to hear is ready to be exhorted. And Hebrews says, as long as it is called today, and it's always called today. Today is today, tomorrow will be today, even though yesterday it was, you know what I mean. Hebrews 5.11, here's the passage we mentioned. Here are people who are not ready. Here are people that had the, the spiritual milk of the word and stayed with it. Hebrews 5.11 and 12. Concerning him, Melchizedek, we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become what? Dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for somebody to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. The, the picture is almost impossible. You cannot have a child that grows up to be one and a half or two years old and starts to eat physical solid food and then goes back and can only eat milk. But he's saying that's what you're like. You're like people that started off with milk, should have got to solid food, but now I can only give you milk because you, you, you can't receive anything else. The ready hearer Hebrews goes on to say, the ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is tilled receives the blessing of God. What should I be like? I should be like this Florida soil if you can even call it soil. And the rain comes down and it just goes right down in it right away. That's what my heart should be towards the word of God. Soaking it up, taking it in, and be ready to do that. Uh, there's uh, the contrast. Uh, the quick to hear also uh, has rest. There is composure and tranquility at, at the foundation of the soul for the quick to hear. From the greatest concerns of salvation to help and trial and guidance and, and direction, the quick to hear rests in God's truth. And I don't want to bring up a lot of verses, but it, 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 we talk about Psalm 119. Just read through Psalm 119. 
And he'll say, in this situation, I just trusted in God's word. And then there was this situation, I just trusted in God's word. And there was this situation, I trusted in God's word. And he just says, God's word has always been there. I rest in it in every situation. The, the quick to hear is ready. He rests in it, but then uh, also uh, responds. Uh, God speaks and the quick to hear responds. There's a hearing uh, with results. First uh, Samuel 3, 9, and Samuel says, Speak, Lord, uh, for your servant hears. He, he was ready. Uh, Jesus was told one time uh, that, uh, Oh, your family's outside. Your family's right at the door. They can't even get in there. They're waiting for you. It's your, it's your, your father and mother. And he says, No, the the ones who really my father and mother, my family, are the, the ones who hear the word of God and keep it. In that sense, he said, I don't have physical relatives. I just have spiritual relatives. The one who is quick to hear responds to God's word. The quick to hear receives God's word. The quick to hear brings God's word all the way in to his heart. Psalm 119, your word have I done what? I've hidden it in my heart that I might sin against you. Here's the God who brought me forth by his word. And David, as it were, says, I don't want to offend him in any way. I want to show gratitude and appreciation. What do I do? I take his words and I hide them in my heart because I don't want to sin against him. We receive the word and take it in. John 3:33. He who has received his testimony has set this seal to this, that God is true. And, and that's what you're saying. You receive God's word and you say, God, your word is true. What you said about Jesus is true. Acts 11.1, 1, Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout uh, Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 1 and 2, uh, applicable to our Discussion. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand. The person not only receives the word, but stands in the word, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. We like to have reward and compensation for the things that we do. And it's, it's very good that God compensates those and rewards those who hear his word. Jesus told the disciples in Matthew 13, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see and to hear what you hear and did not hear. Our privilege is, is even greater than the disciples. It's false for us to say, well, if I was there and I heard what Jesus said, that's false. Uh, that's the uh, rich man who ended up in hell, right? Uh, just give me a little more evidence. I would have believed it. No, you're blessed because we actually have the fuller revelation. We know much more than the disciples did. He explains 
the parable of the sower, and he tells them that. This, this hearer is blessed because God opened their ears. These hearers are blessed, secondly, because they continue to hear things that the prophets and righteous men wanted to hear. We've heard, we've heard the whole story about Christ at first. Peter says, these are things that angels desired to look into. These are things that prophets try to inspect and figure out. Those uh, words are very powerful there. They, they literally were trying to look and figure it out. What happened? And we're told the whole thing. Uh, thirdly, there's potential in the one who hears and understands to bear much fruit. That's the point of the parable, isn't it? You hear and you bring forth fruit and nothing like trials and thorns of trials and issues and stuff can, can squash it because you are a, a profitable hearer and you're blessed. And then in this section, a, a summary verse from Proverbs, it really takes in the, the whole thing. Now, therefore, O sons, listen to me. This is the personification of wisdom speaking. Some people would say it's, it's Jesus as wisdom. For blessed are they who keep my ways. There's the blessing. Heed instruction and be wise. There's another exhortation. But look, there's, there's profit and benefit. Heed instruction and be what? Wise. It leads you in that direction. Do not neglect it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorposts, for he who finds me finds life. Do you want to live forever? Do you want to live a profitable life even now? You need to seek biblical wisdom. You, we need to be people who are quick to hear. He who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Who were in Jesus' family? Those who listened and did. Who did James, who was James going to picture and caricature in the next few verses? A guy that prepares for his day. He goes before the mirror. He looks at everything that he is, and then he goes away and he forgets. Do I have a tie on? Do I have a mustache? Was, is my tie straight? Is my collar the right way? He can't even remember. He just looked at the mirror. And James says, whatever you do. Don't be like that man because he is self-deceived when it comes to God's word. He's not taking it in the right way. You look in the mirror of God's word and you remember what it says. That's the idea. You remember that God is, his word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's, it's there for you to find things out. And yeah, this is out of place and this is out of place. And no, my, I'm not straight at all. That's the picture he's, he's going to present with us, uh, to us. And then we come to controlled expression, slow to speak and slow to anger. But first of all, the controlled expression of speech. James is concerned to teach about the control of the tongue. In this letter, it's mentioned again in verse 26. Very important. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Uh, that's how important it is to be slow to speak. Because if you say you're religious, if you profess Christianity, and your mouth is out of line and out of tune, it's like saying you, you're deceived, you deceive yourself. Deceives his heart, deceives his own heart. That, that uh, 
picture will come up two times. The man that looks in the mirror and goes away and forgets, and the person that doesn't bridle their tongue. And the bridle of the tongue is picked up in chapter uh, 3 also. It says, how do you control a horse? There's just a piece of metal in the horse's mouth, that's it. You control that big beast with just this piece of metal, that's it. Yes. How do you control a ship? There's just a rudder in the back. Compared to the, James says, compared to the size of the whole ship, the rudder is little. Well, what's this? That's James' point. Compared to the size of you, your tongue is just a little thing, isn't it? But boy, oh boy, here you go. Solomon's going to blast us right now. In chapter 3, he uses graphic language to describe it. Clark says, those who are hasty in speech are generally of a peevish or angry disposition. A person who is careful to consider what he says is not likely to be soon angry. The two things go together. You start talking, anger's not far behind, he's saying. Well, here's the counsel of Solomon, the second wisest person. And there's three things that we'll look at. There's three things to think about. The first thing is the contrast of wisdom and folly, spiritual safety and spiritual danger. Uh, Solomon always uh, put the whole package together. The wise does this. The foolish person does this. You'd say, I don't want to be like a foolish person. Well, then just do what the wise person does. Uh, secondly, Solomon will show us immediate and ultimate consequences associated with the use of the tongue. Uh, did you ever say something and face immediate consequences for what you said? You haven't. Now, this is the first time this is the first time that I've ever preached this message where nobody has felt the immediate consequences of saying something. Uh, immediate and ultimate consequences of the tongue. And then finally, the benefits of keeping your mouth closed. And there are benefits to it. Proverbs 10, verse 19. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable immediate con immediate consequences but he who restrains his lips is wise there's a benefit boy he's wise he didn't say anything that's good proverbs 13:3 the one who guards his mouth preserves his life that's far-reaching. But the one who opens wise his lips comes to ruin. That's a consequence. That's a, a contrast. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable. Proverbs 15, 2. Right after uh, a soft answer turns away wrath. So you see the context. Somebody's all in a tither and you say, well, let's take it easy now. Let's think about this, right? This soft answer... The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. Here's the opposite, the contrast. Proverbs 17, 27. He who restrains his words has knowledge. I'm not going to say anything right now. Uh, right? He's saying you've been around the block enough, so you know it's t there's a time to say something. There's a time to be quiet. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of 
understanding, a cool spirit, a spirit that's not soon agitated. It helps with anger as well. Dr. Manton says, empty vessels sound the loudest. Empty vessels sound the loudest. Think of somebody banging on a trash can that's empty. Well, fill it with stuff and bang on it. The, the sound is different. He uses a different uh, thing. And men of great parts like a deep river glide on with the least notice. You can't, you can't hear a, a deep river flow. But an empty vessel sounds loudest. Proverbs 18, 13. He who gives an answer before he hears, it's a folly and a shame to him. That you ever have that? Oh, you're always interrupting. No, I'm not. He who gives an answer before he hears, it's a folly and a shame to him. There's a contrast there. I think, I think maybe that's the second one that we, we fail. Yeah, but what about this? What about that? Stop interrupting. I'm not interrupting. I thought you were done. And here's one of the ones that's ultimate. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Think about that. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it uh, will eat its fruit. Death and life are extreme opposites. The power of the tongue, uh, Solomon acknowledges it, that the, the tongue can control ultimate issues. It's extensive, the power of the tongue. It's far-reaching. It can do damage. We, we, we have seen it in our own day in young people that take their lives because they've been bullied and mocked and made fun of. And literally, life and death is in the power of the tongue because somebody kept putting them down and putting them down and making fun of them. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never harm me. That's a lie. We still might react but that's a lie. Words can go deep enough that I can think I've been mocked by my classmates so much, I'm just going to take my own life. That has happened. Those who love it, those who love the power of the tongue, he says, will eat the fruit of it, either fruit to life or fruit to death. If you love the power of, uh, that, the, that your tongue has to help, encourage, speak words of kindness and love, that's the fruit that you're going to eat. That's what you're going to get back. Give encouragement, get encouragement. Speak love, speak kindness, that's what you'll get back. But he says, if you use it the other way, if you wield the power of your tongue uh, to scorch, discourage, constantly chides, speak unkind words, you're going to get a taste of your own medicine. That's the idea, the, the parable. He who guards his mouth and his tongue, Proverbs 21, 23, guards his soul from troubles. And another one, guard the steps from Ecclesiastes. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God, for God is in heaven, you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. He says you should think about your whole life in the context of worship, because you're small and God is great, and you better be careful coming into the context uh, of worship. And then a summary verse in 
Proverbs 22, 17 and 18, it really uh, fills in uh, much of what we thought. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. There's quick to hear and apply your mind to my knowledge for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you. You keep the word within you uh, that they may be ready on your lips. I hear God's word. I store it and then it's ready to come out and edify people. That's what we're talking about. Next, the controlled expression of anger. Uh, be slow to wrath. Uh, in other words, be like God. God says, I'm merciful. I'm slow to anger. Once again, the Council of Solomon, our, our time is moving along rapidly. There's a contrast, immediate and ultimate consequences, and the benefits of keeping your anger in check. Proverbs 14, 17. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. Proverbs 14, 29. He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. Uh, uh, an interesting picture. There's nothing I like it. There's nothing I like better than folly. Folly is so great, isn't it? That's what they're saying. That person is exalting folly. They're showing that, that they're going on the wrong path, but, but they're exalting folly. Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. And uh, when anger comes along, it really doesn't matter what nationality you are, because I've heard it all, doesn't it? Oh, that's just my Irish temper. Oh, she's a little French spitfire. That's all she is. Oh, that's my heated Italian temper coming out. No, that's your wicked heart coming out. It's not because, you're, it's not because your parents came from Italy. It's not because you're Irish. It's not because you're, you're a French spitfire. It's nothing except the heart. That's, that's the point. Well, I'm outspoken. Well, maybe you should be non-spoken. Maybe you should be shut your mouth spoken. But, but you hear that. You hear those uh, people say that. Well, I can't help. Basically, I can't help it. The Italian in me is stronger than all the grace of God. That's a lie. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit is better than someone who captures a city. The beginning of strife is like the letting out of water, so abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. The picture is, once you have water leaking and starting to come out, it's hard to stop. It's hard to slow it down. A man's discretion makes it slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. You hear that too, don't you? Nobody messes with me. You mess with me, I'll mess with you. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, that's biblical, isn't it? But a person's discretion makes them slow, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. Proverbs 19, 19, a man of great anger will bear the penalty, for if you rescue him, you'll only have to do it again. Oh, here goes so-and-so, he went off on another tirade. Well, wait a minute, we just covered up for him last week. He was on a tirade last week. Well, that's a point, you'll have to rescue him again. Uh... Proverbs 25, 28, like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. There's just easy access, right? We've seen it in the Minor Prophets. 
All the walls are broken down. There's no protection. There's no safety. Well, somebody who, somebody who uh, has no control over his spirit, that's the same thing. You can get in and out any which way because there's no walls. There's no protection. There's no barriers. The end of a matter is better than the beginning, Ecclesiastes. Patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. It takes its residence up there, and people become uh, angry uh, people. Jesus pinpoints, the, uh, uh, pinpoints this issue. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you are good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into a fiery hell. And that is the three commands that were uh, exhorted to give, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And Motir has an excellent summary, and, and we're almost done. He says, the blunt fact is that our life with God is not something segregated to be restricted to quiet times. See where he goes. And insulated from our life with people. I'd, I would never lose my temper. I would never say anything wrong if I didn't have to be around people. That includes, right? That includes, right? But that's the idea. Motier is saying that that's not possible. What has to happen for these things to, to be right? We need grace. We need grace in our hearts to receive the word to be slow to speak and, and slow to wrath. It doesn't work when we just have quiet time. If we do not have an attentive ear in the ordinary circums of life, we do not become different people when we shut the door and open the Bible. What a good point. There's the spiritual me. That's the spiritual me. I shut the, I shut the door. I opened the Bible. That's me. That's No, he says... If we don't have an attentive ear in ordinary circumstances, ordinary, ordinary circumstances. In particular, we must use the relationships and situations of the marketplace of life as a training ground for a readiness to hear, a control of speech, and a cautious abhorrence of anger. Well, there you go again. If I just didn't have people to deal with, I'd never feel anger. I'd never be ready to say, you... I mean, why does the same guy always pull out in front of me when I'm passing on the highway? Why does this? Why do these people drive so slow? If I didn't have, if there was no other cars on the road, I would be all right. And Motier says that's not it. Your Christian life has to be worked out. He summarizes and said, "The great talker is rarely a great listener, and never is the ear more firmly closed than when anger takes over." So, brethren, let's remember these universal, uh, uh, these universal truths. They're important for us. Uh, it's, it's, we were born by God's word bringing us forth by the power. And now he comes down to these 
basic things. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. He's going to go on to say, your anger doesn't work God's righteousness. And he's going to say, before you hear the word, you should get rid of all evil. And as we close, we should be reminded that we are susceptible to these things. We're susceptible to a lack of preparation to hear God's word. We're susceptible of speaking out of turn and not speaking as we should. Let all your words, Paul says, be seasoned with salt. There's that pause, isn't there? Somebody puts a meal in front of you. You say, please pass the salt. Before I eat, I'm seasoning. Before I speak, what do I do? Pass the salt. Stop and think. And before I have any excuse, before I think, I have the right to be angry. I've talked to you about this before. Before I think about that, I should think of the, the cascade of texts that we just looked at that put me in trouble and put me in a bad place rather than a good place, rather than fighting for my rights and fighting for this and that. It is wise to submit and have a cool spirit and be better than a person that takes a city than be like a city whose walls are completely broken down and destroyed. Let's pray. Our merciful Father, we're thankful for the book of James. Again, we're thankful for the practical matters set before us. And we're thankful, Lord, because we know that we've failed in each and every one. We pray that you would give us grace by your power to obey these commands, to heed them, to truly be those who are in the family of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.